I've done everything that you asked, Master. What happened to Mr. Renfield in Transylvania? Nothing. The Master will come. My salvation depends upon it. Your salvation. Hello, hello! Welcome to What the Jess Podcast. I'm your host, you guessed it, I'm Jess. Thank you so much for joining me. Now just sit back and relax and enjoy the show. Heather, it's spooky season. My favorite time of the year. Can you believe it's been a year since our Stephen King one? Uh, It goes by so fast, doesn't it? I can't believe it. I had like all these like ideas for all these podcasts. And then I remembered, oh, wait, I'm going to be in Scotland most of October. <laughs> oh, you poor thing. <laughs> I know. I leave tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. I um, just got all my paperwork uh, uh, finished, up- uploaded to my phone, you know, and uh, I got them all approved, got my COVID test. So I'm very excited. And I'm just, you know, got to drive there and sit at the airport and be on my way. Woohoo! Harry Potter land. Yeah, I, I will remember to go to that cafe that you uh, told me about with J.K. Rollins. I don't remember the name of it, but I'm sure there's a million people that know what it is. Oh, I'm sure they can point you. Yeah, it's like it's right in downtown, so I'm sure they can point it out to you. That's awesome. Um, but as you guys or you guys know, uh, and if you don't know, don't know how, but Halloween in the fall and October is my favorite time of the year by far. Um, Heather's you as well, I know. Yeah, yeah. In New England, we have, um, that's our most beautiful season, I think, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. It's like something's just really cozy about a true New England or East Coast fall where you get the changing of the leaves and the hot chocolate or hot cider by a fire in a crisp day or night. Nothing beats that to me. Absolutely. Um, So... What are we doing today and for today's broad, I say broadcast, podcast, whatever, <laughs> is my favorite thing on earth since I was a little kid. And I have absolutely no, no idea why, except I was just a weird kid, is a fascination with Dracula. And not only Dracula, but the whole vampire lore and mythology itself. And so I thought it would be a cool uh episode to do basically vampires factor fiction and the legend of dracula and i said who better could do this podcast with than let's say yeah i don't know someone i went to romania with heather 
<laughs> yes, yes, we've both been to Romania, which surprisingly enough is something that Bram Stoker himself never did. Isn't that weird? <laughs> and, and we'll we'll definitely get into that. Uh, mm -hmm. But yeah, Heather and I met in Romania in 2006. We were both, uh, well, I don't know, I can't speak for you, but I'm obsessed with Dracula and I've been trying to get there for ages. Um, and it was my first overseas trip. I got in a plane, got this tour booked and went all by myself. And it was amazing. Um, and for me, just being in the actual place, you know, where Dracula was, we'll get into the history in a few minutes, but there was something really eerie, but cool and like spooky. I just, the crackling energy, something about Romania for me that I just loved. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. It, it, it was an awesome trip. It was a, a lot more beautiful than I realized the Carpathian mountains and just beautiful. It was beautiful there. Do you remember when we were in Transylvania, which uh, FYI didn't know was a real, real town. I didn't know. <laughs> I thought it was fake. It's <laughs> like, oh, Transylvania is a real place, you know. Um, do you remember when we were in Transylvania and it was almost midnight and we were on those horse carriages? <laughs> yes. We went to the middle of Transylvania at midnight uh, and it was the most beautiful thing. Was The stars were super bright, but the horses were in, you know, were in the back and it's a carriage that's pulling you just like the old days. And on each side of us, or at least on one side, maybe it was both sides, it was sheer drop into like a lake or a river or something. Do you remember that? And I was so I nervous. Did. I thought the horses yeah. were going to fall over. <laughs> <laughs> we made it though. We did. I, I was like, wow, this is so cool. Um, but uh, yeah, so, you know, it's a place I always want to sort of return to at some point, but I know tourism's kind of taken over the country. Um, and I know there's a lot more restrictions and we've lost some of the um, uh, admissions places where, we used to be able to go, we no longer can go. Mm -hmm. And uh, from what I understand, the most sacred place for me, which I loved more than anything was Panari, the fortress. Mm -hmm. Heather loved that. That's where we climbed 10,000, I think it was what, 10,000 steps all around the, the uh, little mountain so we got to the top. I don't remember how many they were. The castle was beautiful, I loved that. But uh, yeah, just about died walking up there. Yeah, someone somehow dropped their camera over the edge. And I just remember watching tumble, 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 tumble. I was like, oh, that sucks. <laughs> but um, but yeah, so, you know, Romania is a really beautiful place if you ever get to visit. Um, uh, most people are like, well, I didn't want to go there. And then you tell them the Dracula thing and then they're all impressed. Wow, you spent two weeks in Romania? And I'm like, yeah. And not only that, we spent Halloween in Dracula's castle with a bonfire out back and a black wolf walked up to me and I played with him. Yeah. You guys were yeah. like, where is she? And I'm well, of course, she's over there with a the dog. <laughs> yeah. And the, and the interesting thing about being in um, Dracula's castle in Romania and Halloween is that uh, Romanians don't celebrate Halloween. That's right. It's <laughs> the, yeah, yes, and, and some of them are very superstitious still. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, they do the next day, which is the Day of the Dead. They do that, but they don't. Uh, they don't do anything for actual Halloween. This is true. This mm -hmm. is very true. So, when I was putting together this podcast, um, I mean, some of the research is easy for us because we're we already know most of this, and we were actually in Romania, so gathering information I got on the history of Dracula, mostly from the History Channel, some random documentaries, blah, blah, blah. 
I realized the best sort of, um, I guess my, my real interest kicked into high gear when Bram Stoker's Dracula came out in 1992. And for me, it was so like, there was something I connected to with all the characters and, and how it was filmed and how Gothic it was. And it just spurred me on more to want to go to Romania. Um, I don't know. Where, where were you when the movie came out? Were you aware it was coming out? Did you, were you like, Oh cool. Or are you just surprised when it, Oh, Hey, there's a Dracula movie out. Uh, I mean, I've seen it many times. Uh, I mean, I have to say that I was always a fan of the book first, and so I would generally try to see every movie, you know, that came out about it. And I had heard that this was based a little bit uh, more, of course, you know, it's Hollywood, so they take their liberties, but a little bit more on the actual historical person, um, as opposed to, you know, like the Hammer films or the original yeah. um, Bella Lugosa um, Dracula. Yeah, those were more, and I don't mean this disrespectfully because I love old, uh, I like older movies, but they were a little more cheesy, like a little more silly, <laughs> you know, except, Try well they except Nosferatu. That scares the crap out of me even now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a weird dude. I, I, I think, you know, we were starting to have a little bit better makeup and um, prosthetics and stuff when, uh, when uh, Francis Ford's version of it came out. So that probably helped with the cheesiness factor too. Yeah, that's definitely true. That's a good point. Um, so Bram Stoker's Dracula, uh, like I said, came out in 92. And I was, well, I don't want to date myself too much, but let's just say <laughs> I was kind of in school still. I was still kind of young, but Winona Ryder was one of my favorite actresses at the time. And when, if anyone doesn't know the story of how Bram Stoker's Dracula's film came to be, well, it was Winona Ryder. And people are like, How's that? I don't understand it because a few years prior to Bram Stoker's Dracula, Winona was supposed to be in Francis Ford Coppola's Godfather 3. And there's a bunch of rumors to what exactly happened, but the majority of people say she had been working nonstop since Beetlejuice and Edward Scissorhands and whatever else she was working on. And she was exhausted. So she kind of backed out at the last minute and they had a little bit of a falling out. Um, and he ended up casting his own daughter, which did not go well, by the way. And so that was that. So people were really surprised to hear they were working together. But Winona had been reading this book, Bram Stoker's Dracula. And she said she just sort of felt connected to the character of Mina and wanted to bring to life a Dracula that had never been seen before. And that resonated with Francis Ford Coppola as well, because, you know, he's very artistic. And so it was like a, a marriage made in heaven. So once uh, she was on board the movie came together pretty quickly and they pulled from a lot of the history of the real Dracula, which we'll get into in a minute. And when I saw it on the big screen, did you see it in the theaters or only on, on the TV? No, uh, I, I saw it in the theater and I don't think that probably back then we didn't have a um, DVD player or video cassette yes. recorder. So I think I probably must've seen it in the theater. Okay. Yeah. So that was it was amazing seeing it. It was very bloody at the time too. Um, very violent, yeah. And another FYI uh, nugget, um, not to spoil the magic, but pretty much the entire movie was filmed on a, a soundstage. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they, they weren't actually in London or or um, wherever else, Lucy's mansion, wherever the heck that is, England. Um, 
it was all done on sound stages and they did it at Columbia TriStar uh, and I believe 20th Century Fox. They were in one of the largest studios that they had there, stages, um, and right next door to them was the X-Files. And what was interesting was some of the cast members and people working on the X-Files said one day they were walking past the stage. Doors were shut. They have big, giant, like, door, you know, uh, not barn doors, but, you know, large like that, that they go left to right to keep it locked. And they saw, like, blood coming underneath the stage, dripping, coming out. That's how <laughs> much blood blood they use. You know, at the beginning of the, mm -hmm. the film when Winona's character is being sort of saturated and falling blood from the cross. Mm -hmm. That was all leaking out into the street. Wow. <laughs> and people were like, holy crap, is this going to be gory? And at the time, I mean, when I watch it now, there's a couple parts that are a little gory. But to me, it's not really as bad as I, as it would have been, uh, I guess, back then. Yeah, we become a little bit less sensitized towards that type of thing. So, or desensitized, I guess, would be the better. Right. Term. Yeah, that'd be better. And I guess... When they had their early screenings, they had people fainting and, and throwing up watching some of the scenes, like with Lucy and stuff. And I was like, wow. <laughs> the Exorcist, huh? Yeah, because I, I never saw that movie in the theaters either until the reissue came out. And I was like, um, why did I see this again? This is scary. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah. So that's, you know, for me, one of the best. And I think we'll only for me, be the movie of, that I relate best, best to Dracula. I think it's the best portrayed uh, version of Dracula if you're looking for auth authenticity, um, at least to the book. Um, and it wasn't too much different than the book, was it? it I mean, it had some slight changes. Uh, like, they, swapped, they swapped Lucy and Mina, right? Yes, that was weird. Yeah, that's the biggest change, yeah. I think. Yeah, that's weird. I don't know why they did that. I still don't can't figure that out. But um, the thing that's interesting is, of course, you and I know about this. He's actually based off a real person. He is. He, and uh, and to me, that's fascinating because obviously it was written by Bram Stoker's Dracula. Um, and like you said, I think I believe my story or the background has a little bit about that. But if not, it'll be... Uh, in some facts that I have, but yes, Bram Stoker's Dracula, Heather, you might be able to tell this better since I've been yapping the whole time of uh, his inspiration and the fact that he wasn't actually in Romania. Right. Well, it's true that he never visited Romania, but um, he did base the novel off of a real life, um, I guess you would call him Wallachian warlord um, by the name of Vlad Tepes. Which I'll get into um, in a minute. And uh, so where Dracula comes from is his, is his father was known as Dracul, which is dragon. Don't give away so, my, my history, man. I'm getting into sorry. it. No, no, sorry. no. I, <laughs> I just meant like, I'm just joking. Uh, yeah. No, I just meant that when he was writing that he, yeah. he, he wrote it. Where so, did he write it again? He wrote it. So in, he wrote most of this novel in a, in a, um, and a place that also inspired him, which is Whitby, England, uh, which is a really cool um, little town um, in, in England, obviously. Uh, Bram himself is Irish. He, he originally comes from Ireland. Um, but so he, he wrote a lot of the novel there. So a lot of the, uh, the sort of, if you, if you ever go there, a lot of the port scenes, like when they first bring his coffin to England, um, 
will kind of remind you of, of that area. You'll be like, oh, wow, this feels familiar. Um, but yeah, I mean, go ahead. You can go ahead and talk about the real, <laughs> the real character before I spoil it all for yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, you're uh, talking about that really cool shot of the mansion on the ha- on the hill in front of the the seaport, right? The background. Well, like, okay. I guess I, I guess I'm talking more about the book. There's there's a rather lengthy scene in the book where he arrives by coffin to to um, to England, and um, he used a lot of the inspiration for that from from this town of Whitby, this little seaside town. Okay, yeah, I get what you're saying now. But uh, yeah, so it's pretty remarkable considering he had never actually been there, how how uh, close he was to actually what Romania in all these places he described actually looked like. So that's pretty remarkable. Um, but yeah, like like Heather was saying, um, Vlad Tepish or, or Vlad the Impaler, he's got a lot of different names. Tepish, if you want to pronounce it differently. Um, he he was a, a prince of Wallachia in the 15th century, and he ruled over Transylvania, uh, and which is obviously in Romania. And he earned his name by becoming notorious for impaling his enemies and criminals on a wooden stake. Is that hmm. all I can think of is in the movie? That in the movie when he, do you remember that they did it all in silhouette because they didn't want people mm-hmm. to be too grossed out. <laughs> yeah, because it's actually pretty intense. It's not just that he would impale them; he would actually then stick those yeah. sticks in the ground and, like, allow that person to slowly, like, you know, gravity would slowly take them down as the stick would Ugh. impale further. It's it's pretty nasty. Yeah, it's it's nasty. Yeah. Um, so uh, he did. So his father, um, like you said earlier, um, called himself Dracul, and that was a part of the Order of the Dragon. And uh, basically, that's what Vlad ended up uh, calling himself, basically, Dracula, which means son of the dragon or son of the the devil, either way. Um, And um, in spite, I guess it's just kind of hard because each each country even now has somebody who is either a dictator or a bad person, however you want to look at it their own country kind of might think of them as more of a hero right and and so despite all the gross stuff that his reputation uh he was actually considered a christian crusader and he surrounded himself with religious figures and icons um and actually i remember that his brother's name was radu remember i was asking what our tour guide's name was or something that was what his name was wasn't it wasn't it radu yeah yeah it was radu mm-hmm. oh man I, w- I was trying to think of that for the longest time so he had a brother radu and when they were young they were held held uh, hostage um but after they were released radu decided decided to stay with that uh i forget exactly what how to pronounce this but i think it's Adrianopol or something like that. That's the name of the city. Um, and so he decided to stay there and that's where he grew up. And <laughs> as they grew older, Vlad being the naughty boy he was, kept committing these crimes and he was caught and he was imprisoned. Um, and, you know, so some of the stuff that he, <laughs> he's like, uh, on, other people are, on record saying is that he really liked mutilating and torturing animals, which is a big red flag that someone's completely crazy and psycho to be able to have that kind of uh, 
what is it? You're missing a sensitivity chip, as Brad Pitt would say. You don't have any conscience. You don't care about these poor things. Um, but uh, so as soon as he got out later, I believe it was, oh gosh, 1450s, 60s or something like that when he was, you know, was able to get out. He took the title of the name Prince. Uh, it took it from a bloodline. Uh, but as soon as he took back that title, he was attacked by the Turks. He actually died battling them in 1476. It's rumored, it's not exactly proven of exactly how he died, but there are rumors that he died from one of his own, some of his own people because of how horrible he was. And he was decapitated and his head was displayed at the Sultan's palace in Constantinople on, guess what? A stake. <laughs> Payback. <laughs> so basically the character of Dracula, I know, sorry, that was very long-winded. I apologize to the audience, but I kind of wanted to get a whole picture here. Um, the character of Dracula is obviously traced back to Vlad Sepish and they basically Vlad and Dracula have a lot of similarities in the conversations that Bram Stoker wrote for Jonathan. Uh, basically Vlad had a treacherous brother. Dracula speaks of him. Um, and, you know, there's a quote he constantly refers to to those from the past as we and acts as though he was there, meaning Stoker. Any historical background that Dracula gives for himself has to do with this kind of, uh, I don't know the word I'm trying to say, but it's, it's mimicking. So there's a mimicking of the characters of Dracula compared to Vlad Tepish. He made the characters similar. He took inspiration and facts and tidbits to put into his uh, story. And that's pretty much the way that Vlad died in the book is kind of um, with the, the head cutting off uh, and put on a stake as a vampire. It's kind of how the public sort of see, started seeing uh, as a way to ensure the vampires were dead and wouldn't come back after cutting off the head. So basically in a long story, uh, that is the end of the story. That's the, basically the history. Jump in if you have any other stuff about that that I missed. Uh, about. Uh, I can't think of too many things, but I think most writers find inspiration in real life. You know, we can like Hannibal Lecter. He's a um, kind of a conglomeration of several different serial killers. It, just about every you know, writer will tell you that they received inspiration from something they read, saw, heard. And uh, I don't think there's any doubt that Bram uh, drew a lot of inspiration from the historical figure of Vlad Tepes and, of, of course, took the name Dracula directly from that. That's so crazy. Uh, there's like a, a story of the real Dracula. I guess he was having issues when, and when he was in his prime and had his castle where uh, the Turks you know, he didn't get along with them for, cause they were trying to, you know, back in the day they would tax people and, Oh, you owe us money and no, oh, blah, blah, blah. And he wouldn't pay it. And so they sent an emissary to Dracula one time telling them, Hey, you have to do this or we're going to attack you or whatever. And so he, he basically took this emissary and wrote something on a piece of paper, you know, whoever, I don't know, whatever it would say. And nailed it to the guy's head and had him go back and tell him that was his answer, which was kind of gross. And then 
sometime between then and, and like a year or so, he, Dracula, uh, or I'm calling him Dracula, but you know what I'm talking about, Vlad, uh, decided he was going to have a feast and celebrate, uh, I don't know, life and invited his, quote, friends, which are his enemies, as the main guest of, you know, guest of honor, trying to, you know, uh, give the illusion that he was uh, looking to have peace or whatever. Long story short, they came. He had all his people inside there, flush ballroom dancing, food and this and that. And then he kind of did a red wedding. And <laughs> do you remember this? He went out, got out, had the doors locked and had them all killed. Every single one of them. So maybe maybe J George A.R. Uh, got some inspiration from there too, huh? <laughs> I actually was going to ask you about that because it's slightly different, but not a whole lot. Yeah. Not a whole lot. And he had all those bodies staked in front of his house all the way down the driveway all the bad people that, well, he considered the Turks, you know, and they never, they were like, Oh dude, that guy's crazy. Yeah. But um, yeah, he might've had inspiration. I think a lot of people have. Um, and for me, I, at least when I was growing up, I always wanted to be a vampire. I don't know. Does that mean that's something that might be wrong with me? <laughs> so I like vampires. Mm -hmm. No, I think a lot of people are fascinated with immortality. That's probably part of it. Um, you know, I think you could say the majority of the population fears death and, you know, has thought about what if you were immortal. So I don't think it's that that odd. Yeah, um, you know. I, I would agree with that. And I also think sometimes I feel connected to them more than anyone because they're type, they're more loners and kind of by themselves. And mm -hmm. I kind of feel like I kind of grew up by myself too. So I don't know. I guess I feel some connection. But I hear you have a story. <laughs> I do. So, um, so what I'm going to talk about next is that obviously Bram was, uh, he was very much influenced by Vlad, but. There is another story that it is also believed that he was heavily influenced by, at least for a portion of his book. Um, and I'm going to skim over a lot of stuff here because there's several things you could take a deep dive into. But let's leave it to say that at uh, one time, Bram worked for a theater group. He was the manager of this theater group, and he came to America. Afterwards, he... Uh, some of his personal effects, they found some articles relating to an incident that happened in 1892. So to set this up a little bit, this is in New England. Um, in the late 1800s, early 1900s, they had their very own pandemic. Um, and that was a disease that's known uh, medically as tuberculosis, but was known colloquially as consumption. And consumption was a very, very nasty disease. Uh, basically, you would die from your lungs filling with fluid, but this process could take months, sometimes even years. Um, mm. At the time, we didn't know it, but it was highly contagious. So many times it would wipe out whole families, whole villages, whole cities. Wow. Um, the process of dying is you would become extremely frail. You would become extremely pale. Your chest would cave in. You would cough up blood. 
Uh, and of course, especially people that lived in rural environments were, were terrified. This was wiping out whole families. There was no, nothing that anyone could do about it. There was no cure for it. And this sets off a craze in New England that people believed that this disease was being caused by vampires. Oh, wow. Now, up until the year 1892, this happened in Maine, Vermont, New Hampshire, um, Massachusetts, all of the New England states. But it, it cumulates in 1892 when the Brown family, uh, their mother contracts tuberculosis and she passes. Shortly thereafter, uh, George is the father, his two children, one of them by the name of Mercy Brown, the other one by the name of Edward Brown, they also contract the disease. Edwin gets shipped off to Colorado because there was a belief that uh, higher air, drier air could help uh, cure consumption. Oh, and again, Lord. you can take a deep dive into <laughs> consumption. Yeah. There were sanato sanatoriums for this all around the country that were trying all different methods to try to cure this disease. Wow. But long story short, in 1892, Mercy loses her battle with consumption and she's buried. Um, shortly thereafter, Edwin comes home and the village starts saying, because now people in the village are getting sick, we think that Mary the mother or Mercy the daughter is a vampire. And the only way to stop it is we have to dig them up to see if if they have gone through the um, the proper amount of decomposition. So they dig up Mary, the mom. She's properly decomposed. They dig up Mercy and she appears to her hair appears to have grown. Her fingernails appear to have grown and she has flesh, fresh blood on her mouth. Oh, so this is it. They think that Mercy, she's a vampire. So they're going to try to save Edwin. And the only way that they can do it is it's a little gruesome, folks. So <laughs> they cut they cut Mercy open. They take out her heart and her liver. They burn them and they make a concoction, which Edwin then drinks. Oh, God. And when they cut her open, they also noticed that there was still uh, a lot of blood in her heart as well. So they're convinced she was a vampire. So Edwin consumes this, uh, they rebury Mary, and unfortunately, Edwin dies. Oh. And from so a lot blood? of. No, just from the consumption. He passed from the consumption. Oh, oh, okay, okay. George, the dad, actually, he ends up to, to be in old age, and this is actually sort of the end of the New England vampire craze. I've actually been to Mercy Brown's grave. I had an ex back in the day who was studying anthropology. He did a paper about this. So um, I went there and they, they actually have her, um, her gravestone now like tied down with these steel rods because people kept stealing it. Oh, um, so this is a very well-known thing. Uh, we know, of course, now that uh, Mercy was buried in the winter. She was dug up in March. Thus, probably why her body was in such good shape, because it was cold and she hadn't decomposed. Right. Also, during the decomposition pro uh, process, your body loses liquid and it shrinks, which gives the appearance that your hair is growing and your fingernails are growing. Oh, so, um, so. oh go ahead. Continue. I'll ask you after. So that's uh, that's pretty much the story. And an article about this is found in uh, Bram's papers. 
And a lot of people have drawn a parallel between the exhumation of Lucy in the novel and the exhumation of Mercy. And they believe that, uh, Mercy Brown, they believe that this may have been an inspiration, um, sort of kind of why else would he have this uh, newspaper article in his papers. So she, Mercy Brown is exhumed in 1892 and the novel Dracula is released in 1897. Wow. He must so, have. I believe yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. So we're pretty sure that he may have used this. Now, um, I've listened to a bunch of podcasts. There's a, a If you want to take a deep dive into the New England vampire lore, because uh, there's a lot more stories out there, there's a great book called Food for the Dead on the Trail of New England Vampires that uh, you can read. Uh, there's also podcasts specifically about uh, Mercy Brown herself that will go even further into this. Uh, I know the podcast Lore um, did one uh, morbid has one in a podcast called unexplained mysteries has one. So it's a fairly well-known story and it's interesting. You can hear about some of the other people other than mercy Brown. Uh, but to make a long story short, we believe that mercy uh, influenced at least uh, some of what Bram wrote uh, in Dracula. That's amazing. I'm surprised. I don't, I mean, I kind of remember that, but I don't, and I'm from new England and in, in, where was she? Where was this? Where's her? Grave? Rhode Island, Exeter, Rhode Island, is where she was from. But this happened all over New England. She was just oh. kind of, uh, she was the end of it, the tail end of it, and she was the one who, whose no newspaper article he had in his possession. So it, I, 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 you might have said this, but um, it ended because the TB disease just went away. I mean, how did? What? Why did it end? And no, you know, actually, TB still exists. We have not been totally able to eradicate it. Certainly, it's not the the the, the dead, deadly disease that it was then. Uh, there are vaccines for it. There are treatments for it now. Uh, I think that it ended more because this got a lot of attention, and a lot of people that were more educated looked really down on this and were like, "These country people are, you know, <laughs> excuse the term, they're morons for believing this type of thing." But I mean, belief in vampires goes back long before Stoker wrote Dracula. Oh, many, absolutely. many, many, many cultures have. Uh, myths and lore about vampire or vampiric like uh, creatures. So I think it was more just, it was something that was born out of, and we can kind of sympathize with that a little bit today. I think there was this disease that was killing everybody and mm -hmm. they were willing to do whatever they could to try to stop it. I agree. Even it's, if it sounded a little silly. <laughs> it's definitely a, a similar, I can see the, a, a similar parallel. Um, and I definitely think that the, the especially in my head, I'm thinking of the Lucy scene from the movie, which was obviously similar to the book, but you get to actually see it in detail. And to me, that's exactly what it sounds like. But um, moving on, um, I wanted to talk about the 10 major myths that they have uh, out there. I got this from the Huffington po or Huffington Post. And it's basically the 10 major myths about vampires. And... Um, I definitely think, have you, I mean, you must have some myths that you've heard about for vampires, yes? Well, I think every different vampire story has different rules, right? So Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. 
So I found, um, like I said, I, this is not something that I that I wrote. I took and found some different interesting myths from vampires, and most of them came from the Huffington Post. Some we know, some we don't. Um, here is the first one. And again, Heather and I are probably the, the wrong ones to be answering these because we pretty much know most of this, but we'll just, Heather, you can just pretend. Okay. <laughs> I'll act shocked. Okay. So yeah. the first myth, vampires shapeshift into bats, right? So European vampire lore has many descriptions of vampires taking the forms of cats, dogs, horses, pigs, donkeys, wolves, snakes, uh, and are commonly known and usually owned by someone. Stoker may have been inspired to use bats because he wrote key parts of Dracula while staying in Whitby, England, in an area that was full of bats. He makes no mention of bats in Transylvania only after the Count arrives in England. Perhaps another reason for his choice is that most people are frightened of bats. Count Dracula the Vampire Donkey? That just doesn't make any sense. What do you think about that one? Yeah, I mean, I think bats is one that probably everyone knows, right? That they turn in, that well, that's supposed to turn into bats. So Exactly. Um, be cool if they did. <laughs> like, I like bats though. Yeah. I like bats too. Yeah. Um, I like wolves as well. I think it just, you know, those animals make more sense to me, especially if it's a dark person or or demons or not that wolves and all those are demons, but I could see why they're a little scarier, right? And nocturnal, nocturnal animals. Exactly. All right, the next one. Vampires cast no reflections in mirrors. Stoker may have invented this to demonstrate the soulless nature of Count Dracula. It also makes for an excellent theatric, or <laughs> actually, like you were saying, he used to be in, a, in theater, right? Mm -hmm. So, yes. so it's a theatrical device, basically. Stoker hoped to see Dracula performed on the stage. So there was plenty of folklore about mirrors and spirits and mirrors and the dead, but nothing pertaining to vampires itself. Yeah, <laughs> I mean. Vampires cast no reflections in mirrors. I don't know. I mean, it depends on what show you watch, right? Or what movie you watch. Yeah, definitely. And I think, like you said, mirrors uh, go into a lot of my... Uh, my dad was Irish Catholic, and I know like when somebody died, they would go around and cover every mirror in the house because yes. they believed it was like a porthole to something. I don't know. I, I'm, I, I was never that into Catholicism, but... Um, mm -hmm. I know a lot of a lot of religions revolve around mirrors and like it, it, indigenous Americans didn't want their picture taken because they believed it would steal their soul. So just there's a lot of myths and stuff about mm -hmm. surrounding mirrors. Exactly. Very well said. Uh, so the next one is vampires cast no shadows. The shadowless vampire may have been another invention for the purpose of uh theater productions and an advantage there. So um, it was also to show the unnatural and supernatural character of the Count. Stoker, of course, earned his living as a theater manager for the great actor Henry Irving, and he was well familiar with the stage. I didn't know if there was anything interesting in there you want. <laughs> no, I, I got nothing on the shadow. Yeah, thing. I don't know. yeah, me either. Um, I mean, it's, okay. aren't they usually out when it's dark, so there wouldn't be any shadow anyway. Well, that's what they're supposed to be, so um, that one's kind of like a myth, but... Eh. <laughs> So if you haven't picked up on this, this is all related to Stoker stuff, the writer. Mm -hmm. I should have I should have probably mentioned that. Um, so then vampires cannot access running water except at slack or flood tides, which I have actually never heard of this one. Never um, heard of that. Yeah. 
says Stoker may have extended running water folklore to vampires and then altered it to suit his own storylines. According to lore, witches, ghosts, and spirits cannot cross any running water. This disadvantage is not found, though, in vampire lore. Hmm. Hmm. I've never heard that one before. I have not either. I mean, I know water can oftentimes uh, be involved in um, supernatural things. Like a lot of people say that uh, ghosts often appear more often where there's a source or a body of water. Well, Maybe that's yeah, where he got it. That, ah. Yeah, I guess that could be. I mean, <laughs> yeah. holy water, but I don't know about right. running water. Eh. Yeah, yeah, we're going to go meh on that one. Um, <laughs> so this one's a little interesting. Uh, I didn't know this one. Vampires, this is the myth. Vampires are destroyed by sunlight. So Stoker did not invent this one, but it's sort of related to the obviously his work of Dracula. In Dracula, yeah. the, the Count, in his book, the Dracula dies by stabbing. But after Stoker's death, his widow Florence refused to sell the rights to a German company. So they plagiarized the film and changed key elements. In their silent film, Nosferatu, in 1922, the Count is struck by the rays of the dawn and the sun disintegrates him. Ever since, fictional vampires have withered, burned, and died when exposed to the light of the sun. Hmm. Hmm. I had never heard of that. I never knew that. That's very interesting to me. That uh, Yeah, I didn't know that's where it came from. Yeah. Huh. And I didn't know that um, Nosferatu was that freaking old. Holy crap. That's an old movie, yeah. I think it's silent, right? Yeah. Yeah. That dude was creepy that played mm-hmm. the Dracula guy. Wasn't he a creepy in real life, too, or something? Yeah, Max Max von Schreck or something like that. Yeah, he was supposedly a very odd odd gentleman. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so the next one is Vampires Must Sleep in Their Native Earth. In folklore, vampires live in their graves. They rise up uh, in, you know, at night or whatever to haunt and chase the living and kill them and whatever. And then they return to their graves. There's nothing in lore about them carting their grave dirt or native dirt around with them. But Count Dracula and his vampire brides at his castle must sleep in boxes of their native earth. Boxes of dirt are not exotic. And as vampire fiction and film developed... The boxes became coffins, but not necessarily filled with dirt. That's pretty interesting. Um, Makes a certain amount of sense, I guess. Yeah. um, Coffins, I mean, I guess because it's enclosed and you can't see out. And uh, I'm not sure why they would need dirt. (laughs) I'm not quite sure why you would need dirt to live in. Okay, go with it, I guess. Um, so Nosferatu is a term for vampires. No, it's not the Romanian term for vampire. Um, it's not even a real word. Did you know that? I did not. No. Yep. St- uh, Stoker lifted Nosferatu, uh, straight from some Emily. I don't even know how to pronounce this chick's name. Something Emily, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I feel like I'm in Iceland again. <laughs> He stole it from somebody else, basically, and some some woman named Emily. Uh, and this writer, she was also a writer who wrote about superstitions that she encountered while living in Transylvania. She used the the term Nosferatu, but um, they think most likely she garbled another term uh, and sort of created her own term, her own name, um, because Romanian and spoken a certain way for demon um, and uh, Nosferatu. I mean, so it's like two words put together, but it wasn't an actual word. Um, not until the 22, 1922 film Nosferatu. And now it's like, that's all we can think of, right? 
just sounded good, I suppose. Nasrgatu. <laughs> yeah, yes. Vampires are the undead. There are many terms for vampires in European lore, but vampires are not referred to as the undead. Stoker's term made vampires sound exotic, unholy, and terrifying, and perfect for a novel. Um, yeah, I mean, I've always thought of them as the undead, and of course, many of the um, the lore about them, you know, like especially Anne Rice will talk about the process of quote-unquote dying and then becoming a vampire. That's, yeah. Yeah, I mean... To me, if you're dead, you're undead, right? Yeah. I guess. <laughs> I don't know. So I'm skipping the second to the last one because we already know that it's based on Vlad Tepish. We had a whole story about that, so we're not going to go there. Um, and the last one is something we already touched on as well, but it's just a little more uh, information. about Stoker researched in Transylvania is a myth. Um, like we said, he never stepped foot in Transylvania. He visited Switzerland and used the cracky Swiss mountains for his description of the Borgo Pass, and the stark terrain around Dracula's castle. But the real Bargo Pass is a high mountain uh, pass. Like I said, they keep saying pass. It's a lot of words. It's a real high mountain in the eastern Carpathian Mountains with soft rolling hills. But he actually never never went to Transylvania like we had. We mentioned already. But uh, I wonder if he would be surprised to find out now, 100 years, was it 200 years, 100 years later, what happened to his book Dracula and that he's written probably one of the most well-known characters in history. Right. Yeah. That has, I mean, I get countless, countless versions of, you know, of Dracula from Anne Rice to Stephen King to, I mean, there just is a movie that came out on Netflix. That's a version of, of uh, vampires. So, yeah. That's crazy. So, I, yeah. He, ne he never knew what he was writing would become what has become. I mean, that's amazing to me. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Um, yeah. But so I am going to, I should say, we should, uh, we're going to wrap up this podcast with Dracula. Uh, I was going to get into some more of the other stuff, but we're already running into about an hour and uh, we could use some, some more uh, fun stuff for other episodes of, you know, vampire shows and movies we like and all that. But, you know, I think it's cool just to keep it around Dracula himself because that's kind of the main purpose of this episode. Um, any last thoughts regarding Dracula or Halloween? No, just, you know, you should get out there and read uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula if you haven't read it. Um, it's, a, it's a great book. Uh, and watch Francis Ford Coppola's uh, Dracula movie. That's that's one of my favorites, too. Yep. Um, I watch it every Halloween mm -hmm. or, or sometime in October. I always yeah. watch it every single year. Um, and uh, thanks for joining us on this long-winded podcast. But we were just, you know, so excited about Dracula. We wanted to to get him out there so we really thank you for listening and uh we shall see you again next time right can you hear them the children of the night what beautiful music they make <laughs> wow <laughs> we're really sad we are geeks <laughs> see you later guys right, bye <laughs>